are now tuning in to the Mind Body Podcast, where you will go behind the scenes of how the mind of successful entrepreneurs, experts, and true leaders really works. Here you won't just listen, you will understand the guiding principles to create massive change in any area of your life. And of course, this podcast is hosted by the strong, lovely, with the sexy Jewish accent, Lidor Dayan. ברוכים הבאים ל-The Mind Body Podcast. Or in other words, welcome ladies and gentlemen to The Mind Body Podcast. I'm your host, Lidor Dayan. And in this episode, I have a very, very interesting man. He is an American entrepreneur and financial advisor. He has published two books, The 25 Laws of Doing the Impossible and The Next Perfect Storm. He is Patrick Bet David. So without further ado, let's begin the interview. Hi, hello. How are you doing? I'm great, how are you? I am very good. So Lidor, are we going to get into a fight today or what's going to happen today? <laughs> no, not fighting. Maybe a brain fight. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so first of all, I want to thank you very much for your time being uh, here in my podcast. Uh, so for those people that uh, don't really know who you are, please tell us a little bit about your background, where you come from and uh, how you started your journey. So I was born and raised in Iran. I lived in Iran for 10 years. Six weeks after Khomeini died, we escaped, went to Germany. I lived at a refugee camp uh, for a couple of years where I learned for the first time on what it is to become an entrepreneur. Uh, this is in 1989. Super Nintendo 2 was coming out. Okay? Hmm. And I was the only kid on the, uh, uh, this refugee camp. I like this girl named Katarina. She was from Czech Republic. And I was friends with her brother. And... I wanted to spend time with his sister and he wanted to play Super Mario Brothers so I went to the local swimming pool had to figure out a way to make money I was 10 years old uh, the owner of the swimming pool I went up to him I said hey uh, uh, what can I do to help you with this place because it's a mess with beer bottles being everywhere you know Germans know how to drink beer mm. and he said well can you help me clean it I said sure I said if I bring a bottle to you what will you give me he said I'll give you five fennec per beer bottle And so I said, deal, the Super Nintendo that I wanted was $249 at Kaufhaus, which is their Sears. And I knew I needed 5,000 bottles. It took me three months, uh, took me 30 days to get the 5,000 beer bottles turned into them. I got my money. I went and bought the Super Nintendo and Katarina and I were together for a year and a half and Jan Staff played Super Nintendo for a year and a half, uh. which was fantastic. But came to the States. Uh, I didn't do too well in school. I went to the Army right after high school. When I got out of the Army, I wanted to be the next uh, Middle Eastern Arnold Schwarzenegger, bodybuilder, Hollywood star, you know, Mary Kennedy and all these things. But I met a girl who was working at Morgan Stanley Dean with her, and she would always pick me up in a different car when we'd go out, and she was the one paying for everything. She had the money. I was broke. And I said, what do you do to have all these nice cars? And she said, I work at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. I said, what's Morgan Stanley Dean Witter? She said, well, it's financial services, all this stuff. I said, I want to work there. She said, you need a four-year degree from a university. She was from UCLA. I said, I'm not going to school. She said, they won't hire you. I said, well, let me see what I could do. So I sent a resume into Morgan Stanley Dean Witter and a hundred other financial firms, Goldman Sachs, Merrill, Morgan Schwab, uh, Morgan Schwab, all these guys. And my resume back then, we used to fax. My resume was on the bottom and on my cover letter, 
I put the best joke I had, my best joke of all time I had, I put on the cover letter. And under my joke, it said, if you're laughing right now, this is exactly how my clients are going to feel when they do business with me. They're going to love me. So if you want somebody like this part of your team, give me a shot. Call me for an interview. Because my resume sucked. I worked at Burger King. I worked at Hockey and Dots. I was in the military. Nothing on my qualifications says I'm going to be working at Morgan Stanley Depot or any of those firms. I got 30 calls. 15 of them were just because they loved the joke. 15 of them gave me an interview. I got four job offers. I picked up one of them and my career got started. So from there, I left to Transamerica in the financial industry. Then I started my own firm October of 2009 with 66 life insurance license agents out of Northridge, California. Today, seven years later, we're at 3,200 agents in 49 states. Wow, that's amazing. Business has grown. So that's briefly about my background. That's really amazing. And uh, I think most people, like when they see like success, they, they see it like, oh, the, the, the people are so different or something. But uh, the, if we look underneath, like, uh, like Tony Robbins always says, people are rewarded in public for what, what they practice years in private. And the more time you put in and uh, the better understanding that you have in your mind that uh, uh, s- success like comes from within, like when I'm committed and that I see myself and love the, my life uh, as present and I'm not seeking for like uh, outsources uh, uh, to, to really reach what I want. So then I will start to attract what I want because when you're always trying to get something outside uh, so you will never be uh, uh, wealthy and rich and uh, successful, right? So I, I wanted to ask you about the mindset of high achievers. Uh, what is going through their minds, their beliefs, the the question they ask themselves, uh, how they see the world? They are very content. So you got to keep that in mind. They're rarely content. There's this battle between the meaning of contentment and happiness, okay? Contentment and happiness. Um, Some people are very content with a girlfriend and a regular car and a regular job and just uh, being a regular person and doing okay for themselves and they're happy. They're okay with that. Some people are content with that. Uh, Some people think they're happy. They're not happy, but they're content. And some people are not happy uh, and they're not content. So... But I can tell you about high achievers, they're not content. They're not happy with what they get. Every time they go out there and win something or have something, it's not enough. They always want to find a way to do more and get better and constantly push the envelope. And it's a rare mindset. It rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but they just they have, they just have this attitude of, I am not going to stop until I figure this thing out. And once I figure this thing out, I'm not going to stop until I constantly keep beating my prior best. And, and they're, they're, this is even a, because you got to think about this, Lidor. Is it Lidor? Am yes. I saying it correctly? Lidor, a person making $100,000 per year is considered a high achiever to a person making $30,000 per year. Okay? Mm-hmm. A person making a half a million dollars per year is a high achiever to a person who's making $100,000 per year. Right. And a person making a million. So when does this ever stop? Right? So it only stops when you stop. It doesn't stop until you decide to stop because no matter who you are, you're still an underachiever to somebody else. And no matter who you are, you're always an achiever to somebody else. So it really comes back down to how big you think, how big your vision is, and how long it's gonna last to make sure that vision, that prophecy becomes a reality. 
Yes, yeah, I totally agree with you. And uh, the higher the vision and the mission you have, the more you will push yourself and do more. And uh, this is what I see like now. I mean, uh, I'm in a process like I just moved to USA three months ago. I came alone. I was super scary uh, to come here, but I knew that my vision, my, my dream to become more, that I always knew that I can be more and become more to the world. So I just, I, I don't know, I, I didn't have much money. I, I came and right now I'm, I'm like really trying to, to build this thing. And uh, I know it's, it takes times, but uh, I, I see the, the higher purpose. I see like where I'm going, the vision, the, the people, the, the I want to inspire more. I want to show possibilities. So uh, when you you have something inside of you that you really know deep inside that uh, you can make it. So you you come to the uncertainty and you bring this certainty inside. And uh, most people know deep inside of themselves that the the true about any success is just showing up each and every single day. And I want to take you back to the time, uh, to that time. What kept you going when everything went wrong? When you started to have doubts in in that point, what was the primary question you asked yourself? So you you got a you got a lot of pain when you're hitting at that moment, right? Everything is maybe not going your way, or you're trying to figure out a way to come out of the hole. What kept me going was what my dream and my vision was. It was very simple. Um, my dad had a major heart attack and I was outside in the car. It was a Ford Focus. I'm outside of the hospital and I was not going to let my dad die because of finances because one of my dreams was when I was a six-year-old kid in Iran, a teacher asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a father. Now, I don't know if I said father because I want to have a lot of sex or because I wanted to have a kid, but I think I wanted to be a father because I had a very good dad. So... I wanted my dad to meet my kids. That was very important to me. And it was so painful that if this event wasn't gonna take place, I had to live with that. I was not okay with that. That really hurt me a lot because, you know, I wanted to make sure I never had a chance to meet my grandfather. I wanted to make sure my kids can one day say he was their grandfather and they had a relationship with them. So what does this mean based on the question you asked me? It's very simple. If you don't have a goal like that that drives you and fires you up on a daily basis to get to work and get up and fight through the difficulties that you're going to face, you ain't going to do it. You simply are not going to do it because eventually you're going to say, you know what, this sucks. Why am I working until 12 o'clock at night and I'm getting three and a half hours of sleep and I'm waking up and I'm going through this and seven days straight everyone said no to me and no one bought my product, whatever the product it is that you're selling, you know, and I, I hate this, man. Nothing's happening. I I got an offer to a job the other day, $15 an hour. Why am I not taking that? Why am I trying to do this? Why am I not going back home? Why am I not going back to what I was doing? Why am I not going? That is processing through your mind. So if you don't have a clear dream, vision, a goal, something that's so important to you to become a reality, you will eventually give up. Uh, and so how can you be, uh, get beyond scarcity and not being a servant uh, to your mind? And for many people, uh, it's scarcity about money. Uh, so how can you really shift your mind and take yourself to the next level? How can I take myself to the next level of thinking what? Thinking like scarcity? It, yeah, if you're in, in a, uh, always like uh, 
your mindset is uh, you you from the one hand you really want to succeed but then like you have all these rituals you have the uh, the things that you grew up in your mind so how can you really shift this like you uh... yeah so if you want to talk about scarcity thinking like how can you stop thinking uh, from the place of scarcity it's just constantly finding something new to replace it with and the conditioning part of the mind you got to know that it doesn't happen overnight I'm looking at you right now through the Skype you have traps you put your arm up here so you look like you have muscles when I saw the picture that Mario sent me mm-hmm. it looks like you're what do you do for a living Lidor? are you a fighter do you do fighting no I'm a trainer way? I'm a coach a personal trainer you're a personal trainer and a coach How long did you work out to make your body look like the way it does today? A lot of years. How many years is that? Let's say uh, around uh, eight to ten years. Eight to ten years. Now, when did you start seeing results? Like you were actually like, man, this is cool. I'm getting muscles. How long did that take? Uh, I would probably say uh, after a couple of years. After a couple of years. Okay, so just listen to what you just said. It took two years for you to see results, okay? Mm-hmm. So I used to work out myself, and when I started working out, I went to a gym, it was YMCA in Glendale, California, and I would bench press the 45-pound bar, okay? I would wear sh- four shirts because I was so skinny. I was 6'3", 125 pounds. Wow. Do you know how skinny is 6'3", 125? And I'm not a model, <laughs> and I'm not a girl. <laughs> A girl who's 6'3", 125 is attractive. A guy who's 6'3", 125 needs to eat some food, like just eat some damn food and put on some weight, right? (laughs) I started off with a 45-pound bar, and then I started off with 2.5, 5 pounds, 7.5, 10 pounds, 12.5, 15 pounds. And you see the whole trend, and my weight started going more and more and more. But, Lidor, there's a part of the scarcity thinking is that we really, like somebody who's watching this right now, we really don't know what people are made up of. We don't know what people are made up of. People don't know what they're made up of. No one knows what people are made up of. I don't know it. You don't know it. You just came here from, what country did you come here from, by the way? I came from Israel. You came from Israel, and you came here three months ago. Do you have family here, or are you by yourself? By myself. Do you realize how crazy you are? Kind of. Do you realize how crazy you are? You know you're crazy for doing something like that. You know it's scary, you don't have somebody to talk to. You're a good looking guy, which means you probably have a few girlfriends back in Israel, okay? And so you're trying to figure things out. You don't have money to lean on somebody. You're absolutely crazy. Now, okay, what are we gonna know in the next year, two years, three years, four years, five years, 10 years from Lidor quitting and going back to Israel or Lidor being somebody that everyone around the world knows because he made an impact with people's lives and is a legend around the world. We're not gonna know that. No one knows that. No one knows what's in your mind here. I'm looking at your eyes right now, you look pissed off. No one knows the fire in your belly. No one knows the fire in your heart. No one knows how jacked up you are. No one knows how little sleep you get. No one knows that you don't watch TV or you're obsessed about it. No one knows that, I don't know that, no one knows that. Your parents don't even know that. Your ex-girlfriend doesn't know that. Your best friend, your current boss, no one knows it. The only person that truly knows that I'm gonna put myself through this flippin' pain and go out there and win big as you. So the viewers watching this, this whole thing about scarcity, life is about a tryout. This thing, life, is a tryout. This is purely a tryout. We don't know if you're gonna make it on the team. No one knows if you're gonna make it on the team. The greatest reason why somebody like you from Israel and somebody like me from Iran, 
comes to America and why America's got 41 million immigrants living here, more than any other country in the world, number two country in the world is Russia with 11 million. There's a reason why we come to America. You know why? Because you and me, regular guys, have fire in our belly and we want to make something happen in our lives. We, let, we have no clue if it's going to happen in our lives. You don't know it, I don't know, and nobody else knows it. But here's the thing about the game in America. You know what the thing is about the game in America? Anybody can do it because rules, regulation, all that stuff is not going to stop you. So scarcity thinking, no one's going to know your fire until you really show to the world how bad you want it. There's not a way of measuring it. There's quite frankly nothing I can tell you for somebody to say, oh, that's the secret to this. There isn't a way for me to scan this. The only thing that's worked for me over the years, the only thing that's worked for me over the years, I have recruited a lot of salespeople in my career. And I have worked with a lot of people in my career. And I've made the mistake of working with the wrong people in my career. And eventually, my intuition got better and better and better and better and better. So instead of being wrong, you know, and only being right 20% of the time when I knew who was the person to work with and who not to work with, I'm at 80% right now. And what 80% to me is, I can tell if this person's gonna make it or not. But I'm 20% of the time wrong. And I can tell from the eyes, from the sweat, from the fear, from the agitation, from the action, from the movement, from the way they respond. That's how I can tell. So a question like that for me to uh, challenge somebody and what their scarcity is, I can tell you one thing. If you know you're gonna win in life and you are not afraid of the work, and deep down inside, you are so freaking kicked off and absolutely uncomfortable, you're eventually gonna win a life. No one's gonna stop you, especially in America. Maybe in Venezuela, maybe in Cuba, maybe in Russia, and some of the, maybe in China that's got the communistic system that controls you with all this stuff. Not in America, in America it's open game. You wanna play big, go play big. Yeah, and you, you can see it right now, but all this time that you're talking right now, like I feel the, electricity in my body right now like everything you're talking I, I truly understand not just intellectually I, I feel it in my heart so uh, I think th this is uh, the only thing that really makes a difference in people's life is when they get resourceful enough and when you're resourceful enough you, you will find a way to make things happen and if you uh, you are not resourceful so find something that gets you into resourceful mode because this is the only way that uh, most people like really starting to see change in their body in uh, in their life and i saw it by myself when when you come to a point when uh, enough is enough and something is changing and you you're starting to 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 really get resourceful then i don't know how, how but you you find a way you don't know if you're doing it good or not, but you just do it. True. And I, I also uh, saw that you walked on a, a live volcano. Is that right? Do I, I do what? You, you walked on, on a live volcano. Oh, yeah, I did. Yes. Oh. I walked on a live volcano. How long ago was this? Four years ago? How Three, the, the fuck ago? did you do that? Like, what's going through your mind when you go to uh, <laughs> this kind of thing? So, you know, uh, uh, it was, uh, we're in Hawaii. I think we're on the big island. I want to say it's Kona. And all the locals said, if you want to see a real live volcano and a real live lava, there's this one volcano. But... The challenge with it is there's rangers there, so they don't let anybody because a lot of people get killed. So when you go and you walk on this volcano, 
there is cars that are under the lava. Like you see cars under lava. You see a lot of strange things in this place. And then they tell you three signs when you go in there that when the lava gets dry and it capsulates, if you step foot in it and you fall in, it sucks you in. You're done. You're dead. So you can't come out. But I wanted to see lava. So we got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was two hours away from the hotel we were staying at. We drove down there. We got there before the rangers. We drove, walked in. We started getting really, really deep into it. It started raining very bad. And then we got right to the tip of the volcano. We saw the lava. And then uh, some of the guys in the back were getting scared. So they stayed in the back. I was with a friend named Jose. He stepped foot on the next uh, uh, lava uh, uh, capsule. His foot started cracking. He held my hand. We came back out. We said it's time to go back before we get killed. But it was an incredible (laughs) experience. Yeah, like what's going into your mind when you're doing something crazy as that? Because there is a different uh, from fear and danger. And this was more than danger than just the fear in your mind, right? Yeah, this is pretty stupid is what it is. (laughs) I mean, it's like the the best way to put it is that there's not another way of putting it than, you know, doing something like that because you just want to kind of do something like that. I mean, I, I remember when I was in the Army, there were certain things we wanted to do that made no sense, but there was a part of it that the adrenaline, you know, I, I, I like uh, uh, speed. I like things that go fast. I like, you know, I like adrenaline. So it was an exciting thing that we did, and it's a story that we'll tell for the rest of our lives. I am not sure I'm going to go walk on a volcano again, though. Hmm. Hey. And recommend, by the way, just so you know, I'm not recommending or endorsing anybody. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, uh, I see the the behind of you. There are so many books, and you're a good reader. So I want to know, like, in a world that's always always changing, and you have like so many stuff to do, and uh, a guy like you that has so many stuff to handle with, how can you still uh, be focused, still have time to like do your YouTube channel, uh, reading books, and uh, uh, all of that stuff? You know, we we like to think we like to think that. We don't have as much time as we do. I think it's, um, when, I, when I got married, when my wife and I were getting married, she was talking about it the other day, and the, we were looking at a magazine, and the magazine said uh, that uh, Ivanka Trump, is Ivanka the wife, Mario, or Ivanka is the wife, right? Yes. That Ivanka Trump never planned for this, meaning she wasn't, she never wanted to be a first lady. And now she's her first lady because she married Trump, and so now she's the first lady. Huh? Melania Trump, not Ivanka. Ivanka's the daughter, Melania's the mother. You're right. Melania was never wanting to become a first lady. So Jennifer says, you know, it's amazing. Do you think she was prepared for this babe? Uh, She says, I think she was. I said, well, think about our life on a smaller scale. She says, babe, I'll never forget. I asked my wife 67 times, you sure you want to marry me? Okay, you sure you can handle this? Do you know what I want to do in my life? I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do that. Are you okay with this? There's going to be a lot of criticism. There's going to be scrutiny. People are going to say stuff about us. There's going to be a lot of that. Are you okay with this? And she kept saying, yes, yes, yes. I said, great. Then so, you know, then don't be upset if I'm traveling a lot. Don't be upset if I'm working late. Don't be upset if I'm, because I want to do this stuff and I want to have kids and I want some good food and I want to travel. And I want to see the world. And if you can handle me, I can guarantee you no man's going to give you a better life than I am. I know that for a fact. But I'm not going to be easy. I want you to know that part as well. And she signed up for it. Now, once she signs up for it, she can't tell me, 
I didn't know life was going to be this hard. You can't say it anymore. You already agreed to it, that I told you this was how life was going to be. And so when you tell me about reading books and all these things, it's really time management. Man, there's plenty of time. We've got 168 hours in a week. Sit down with a sheet of paper, literally take a sheet of paper and a pen, 168 hours in a week. How many hours a night do you sleep? Sleep five, four, six, seven, eight. What is it? Add it up. Five How many hours do you work out a day? How many hours do you watch TV? Literally write it down exactly to the minute. You will see how much leisure time is set of just pure wasted time. That's the leisure time that there's a lot can be done with that. I just try to figure out ways during that leisure time to read a little bit more to keep constantly feeding my mind. And... Uh... If you like, okay, I chunk things up and I do everything where, okay, but then you you get distracted in your brain, like, okay, now I want to do a task and I give it one hour and I, I try to do and then I start to procrastinate. How, how people can handle better with procrastination, like maybe phones, because most people like with their iPhones and all of that kind of stuff, so how they can remain the focus and like... If I tell to myself, okay, I give it one hour, so I do this one hour. Yeah, so, so let me tell you how I ran my day uh, mm-hmm. from when I was running a sales shop or when I was working out or when I'm reading a book or when I'm anything for me, how it worked in my mind. So for me, people ask, how's your schedule look like? I, I'm more about the number of activities I'm going to do in a week than schedule. Let me explain. So I had a goal. Every single week, when I was a financial advisor and I'm running my sales office, I had a goal of making a minimum of 250 calls every week, and I had to run 20 appointments every single week. 20 appointments every single week. And I broke it down. And sometimes I would increase that to 30, and sometimes I would increase it to 40. So if I do my 20 appointments in a week, then I have some time to do and reward myself, whatever it was. I like to, some, you know, for me, uh, happiness is 10 o'clock in the morning, I go watch a movie in the movie theater and nobody's there but a, a bunch of 80-year-old retired people because that's when retired people watch movies. So I would sit there at 10 o'clock and I would watch a movie. That's therapeutic to me. That's Hawaii to me. That's relaxing to me. I like that. You know, I would get a massage every other week. If I ran my appointments, if I hit my numbers, There's always got to be a carrot there. I think sometimes people don't have a carrot. If there isn't a carrot, you know, a rabbit chases a carrot. Like the race, when they put it, there's got to be a carrot to go get. What's your carrot? Sometimes people stop giving themselves carrots. So if you don't have a carrot, why the hell am I going to work? Why the hell am I going to read? Why why am I going to do certain things? So if you can truly put a reward punishment system together for yourself, that if I do X, Y, Z this week, I get this carrot. If I make this much money this year, I'm going to buy myself a Harley. If we hit a certain number, I just bought a Lamborghini, I bought a Ferrari, I have an i8, I have another truck just ordered, we're looking at buying a $7 million home, I just looked at a Rolls Royce uh, yesterday or two days ago, Mario, was it two days ago, two days ago I looked at the Rolls Royce Don convertible, these are all based on, we hit this, I'm getting this, we hit this, and because I need to have a carrot for myself, there's got to be a carrot, and the same way I treat myself with carrot, I treat everybody else with a carrot as well, my entire environment on how I run my company, it's based on constantly having the next gear for people to get to not stay bored, not stay distracted, not procrastinate. Procrastination is an interesting subject because m- most of the time the carrot isn't exciting enough to you. That's why you're procrastinating. But if you can add an exciting carrot in your life, you're not going to procrastinate. Let me let me ask you a question. Are you single, Lidor? Yes. 
Okay, you're, you, you like girls? You like ladies? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, so I want you to think, have you gone out to a night? Where do you live, by the way, in America? What city are you in? I'm in Houston, Texas. You're in Houston? Houston's got a pretty nice uh, nightlife. It's got, have you already gone out to the nightlife or no? No, I'm always busy with, uh, you know, building my brand. Building your brand, okay. So I want you to, let's not talk about you. Let's talk about somebody else because you're doing what you're doing here. I want you to think about a person, a guy, it's 1.30 at night, he's at a nightclub. Okay. Okay? He's very tired. He only slept three hours the night before. He's very tired. His friends say, stick around. Let's stick around, let's hang out a little bit more. He wants to procrastinate and go home. Then, the moment he puts his glass down and he's about to say bye to his guys, a girl comes by next to him. And she sits down and she says, hey, I've been watching you from the other side. Do you mind if I buy you a drink? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, he's not tired anymore. Yeah. So she buys him a drink and she says, look, you look tired, but if you want to, we can go back to my place. Is he going to procrastinate? No, not at all. <laughs> of course not. Let's go take some action. What is the point there? A carrot. Mm -hmm. A carrot gave him a bunch of energy to not want to go home. A carrot will give somebody a bunch of energy to keep breathing, working, developing themselves instead of saying, oh, I'm just not in the mood right now. So you got to change your carrot. But if your carrot is like really big carrot and you want like a very big carrot, but you're still like, uh, okay, you'll get like you don't know how to get this bigger what you need to like uh, start with little carrots of course you do absolutely you do 100% you do everybody starts like listen my first biggest dream <laughs> like I mean let me explain this to you so my first thing when I got a car I got a 1979 Honda Accord hatchback for $500 that was my first carrot man I was so excited before that, it was a pager. I don't know if you remember pagers. We had pagers in America. It was a pager. That was my carrot. And then after the Honda Accord, it was a Chevy S10 long bed truck. That was my next carrot. And then it was a Mitsubishi Eclipse. Oh my gosh, if I drive a Mitsubishi Eclipse, this would be the coolest thing in the world. And I bought this Mitsubishi Eclipse for $5,500. Then the next one was a, you know, uh, uh, a, a, um, uh, Ford Expedition and then I lost everything and I got a Ford Focus and then it was a Mercedes S600 used that I bought that was a lemon the guy who sold it to me ripped me off the car was completely messed up <laughs> then it was an Escalade and it worked up in business is the same thing in life is the same thing working out is the same thing Lidor what do you bench press right now what can you bench right now 10 times 10 times uh, I can say around uh... 200 pounds, something like that, and I'm 140. You're 140 pounds and you can do 200 pounds 10 times. Yes. How much, do you, how much, how much can you squat 10 times? Uh, squat, uh, nah, not too much right now, uh, because I have some knee injury. But, What's uh, your strong body part? What's your uh, deadlift, body? I'm very good at deadlift, so back. Deadlift. What yeah. do you deadlift? I can deadlift like uh, 340 pounds, something like that. You can then have 340 pounds. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 340 pounds. Did you start off with 340 pounds? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, you know this yourself. That's the same exact thing with business. So this is why I say in business, it's not about being very patient. It's not about being aggressive. It's about being aggressively patient. It's about being aggressively patient. So the bigger you think, 
the more aggressively you need to be patient. Do your part, but man, be patient. Mm -hmm. Do your part, adjust, improve, get better, test, and be patient. Eventually, this thing's going to work out for you. Great. So last question, because I, don't, I know we don't have much time. Uh, what would the legacy you would like to live long after you won't be among us? This is a question I like to ask everybody at the end of the interview. You know, I'm driven by history. I'm not driven by money. I think money is very easy to make. I think money is a game. I think really you're truly playing a game. Like, you know, some people like to play video games. Some people like to play board games. Some people like to go gamble at casinos. I like to play the game of business. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, uh, the game of business. But when it comes down to the legacy side, you know, I heard a story the other day, and it's a very interesting story. The story is, uh, uh, my friend Steve told me this story on the way back from uh, Vegas. He said, you know, there's a kid one day that he and his friend every day would go to the lake right after high school to go fish, right after school they would go fishing, and the friend would always catch a fish, but his friend never caught a fish. Lidor, for years, he never caught a fish. So one day, this kid goes and prays to God and says, God, how come I catch fish? Every single time we go, I catch fish, but my friend has never caught a fish. Why is that? And God tells him, well, because his destiny is not about catching fish. He's not destined to be very successful in his life. His destiny is to be somebody that doesn't catch fish. Your destiny is to catch fish. And he says, Are you, but this can't be the case. This is the case. So he goes home and tells his friend. He says, hey, I talked to God today. God told me that my destiny is to catch a lot of fish. Your destiny isn't to catch a lot of fish. The friend gets upset. He leaves. The friend goes out there. Ten years later, they don't see each other. Fifteen years later, they don't see each other. They don't keep in contact. Friend becomes massively successful. So that friend wants to come back and visit the city. And he says, I want to go see my old friend. We used to go fishing together. And he goes to his friends. He lands on a helicopter and all this other stuff. And he sits down and comes in his car. All these things comes into a helicopter. And his friend's like, wait a minute. Who are you? He says, I'm your old friend. He says, which old friend? Man, we used to go fishing together. Is that your helicopter? Yes. Who are you now? I'm super successful. How is this even possible? He says, yeah, I just wanted to come say hi to you. He leaves, and he goes back and talks to God. And he says, God, what happened to you, man? I mean, you know, you just said that I was supposed to, I was destined to catch fish, and this guy wasn't destined to catch fish. Why is it that he's so successful, right, and has all this money? He says, that's not his money. He says, of course that's his money. He's got it. He says, that's not his money. He says, I gave that money to him because his son is one day going to be the president of the United States. That's why. See, I think my legacy is not about me. I think it has to do with my kids and other people in my life. And it's about me giving clarity to other people. I just think the man upstairs is using me as a tool. And I don't know why he's created me this way. I don't know why my brain works this way. I don't know why I think this way. I don't know why I'm wired this way. I don't know why I have this energy with never drinking coffee or Red Bull and I can't stand drugs and alcohol. I don't know why I'm like this. But I think there's something that has to be done with the legacy that connects to my family and the people around me. That I want to find out years after I die. So I have no idea what's going to happen. Wow. You, you got me speechless. Uh, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate your time. And uh, I learned a lot. I learned that uh, it's not just about you. You always try. You, you can do your best. But 
it's not about you if you focus just on yourself so you you won't make it but if you focus on something that's better than just yourself and you know that you like you said you are a tool here and uh, you can use yourself to be more and to others and help more people so this is the the, the right way so thanks again uh, i really appreciate your time and thank you very much thank you Bye. feel free to subscribe to my podcast at itunes spotify soundcloud and at my youtube channel also feel free to share this podcast on instagram by tagging the mind body podcast Do you want to be a part of the Mind Body podcast? So remember the fast factor. The fast factor stands for 1. Facebook. Become a part of the Mind Body podcast community by joining our Facebook community just by searching on Facebook the Mind Body podcast community. Number 2. Act. Don't just be a passive listener. Act upon what you've just learned by applying one simple thing from any episode or interview. 3. Subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or if you're visual like me, then just search the MindBody podcast on YouTube. And number 4. Train others. Because just like I always say, leaders create leaders and you're all here to grow together and by training others you're training yourself so this is the fast factor remember it facebook act subscribe and train others oh and please feel free to leave a review which will engage all your vac senses and the vac senses stands for visual auditory and kinesthetic which when you use all the three combined you remember stuff much better for more information about my coaching public speaking and taking your mind and body to all new levels check my site at lidodayan.com till then never ever forget to smile see you soon <laughs>